Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Welcome, welcome back, Rabbi Eric. How are you? Oh, we don't even know how to start any. Uh, <laughs> we're t- already talking over each other. Uh, portentous. We're so out of practice. We we are out of practice of talking, but hopefully not from thinking. Are you well rested <laughs> from our weeks off? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's summertime, man. You're supposed to be headed into the big Sabbath, not the weekly I, one, but the annual yeah, Sabbath. I'm waiting for that to happen, actually. Um, I, things have actually been really busy uh, in a good way at the synagogue as we're, we're starting to open up. Um, people are in person, live at services instead of just uh, having to look behind me on a screen to see people smiling. Uh, but yeah, they have a, we have a lot going on. Um, what, what about you? We are still very much present in the sanctuary, but with uh, with the recent CDC changes and our own governor making some uh, nudges and changes for the state, we are present and masked because not everybody in our congregation yet has access to the vaccine, either because of um, their inability to get to it or they're of an age that they can't be vaccinated yet. So we're all still masked, but we're doing everything else almost normal now. We're singing. We we aren't passing um, anything up and down aisles, but we've taken all the ropes down. We've changed our social distancing. We're even having congregational uh, fellowship with drinks and snacks afterward. In the that it, that was going to be my question because um, I'm sure this is true in uh, Christianity, but in Judaism, it's certainly the case that if you feed the Jews, you fill the pews. <laughs> but sadly. Sadly, we are not feeding the Jews yet, but that, that, that'll be the next big, big step. We are. There's, uh, there's a table with servers. You walk up to it masked. They're masked and gloved, and they hand you what you wish, and then you go sit down at a table either inside or outside, um, and you're invited to unmask at, if you're seated at table. Um, but if you rise from it, you remask. Uh, and if you're outside, let it rip. <laughs> no masks outside. So right. yeah, it feels it feels semi-normal. And most everybody here is comfortable with that. But some some wish we were going faster, some wish we were going slower. There's no way to make everybody perfectly happy right. with the speed or interpretation of all these uh science based ideas of what what COVID Which, is Which by doing. the way, it, I, as I, I'm learning it, there and I, I don't want to speak for science as, as as a clergy person, but I'm hearing from people in the scientific community that some of these things are, that some of these guidelines are actually arbitrary. And it's more about, you know, getting people back to work and stimulating the economy as it is about what we know about transmission, which still apparently is not that much. So that's discomforting. But what is comforting <laughs> is that I, at least, it, in my synagogue, many, many people are vaccinated who are able to be. And because of technology, we offer the possibility of hybrid services so for the people who either um, aren't comfortable or reasons having nothing to do with COVID, don't want to drive at night, all those sorts of things. But I'm finding, and I don't want to derail us too much into a into a clergy confidant episode, but um I'm finding, and I don't want this to sound like a whine either, <laughs> that 
parishioners don't fully appreciate how difficult it is to run a hybrid service as the clergy person. It is so difficult, both from a practical logistical perspective of remembering to press every mute button at exactly the right time and invite speakers and all those things, but also from a spiritual perspective of trying to be present in the service and spiritually uplifting and all of those things. And uh, I'm not sure that it's doable. Right. I, successfully. <laughs> yes, it would take a very unique human to be able to bifurcate themselves and give attention in two directions at the same time. I have people ask me a lot, can you worship when you're leading worship? And normally my answer is yes. But when you insert the the technological demands uh, so that people who are present can hear and see and fully participate and have the sensory experiences as as well as the body language and all the other ways we communicate. And then at the same time to craft a produced visual of that so that those who are watching online can see and hear and feel and experience. Sometimes there's no way to stage the worship experience so that it works for both of those audiences. And even if you are good at that, the technical uh, skills required prevent you and the team making that happen from being able to worship while you're leading worship. So right. something is, but my wife, Jill, is now running our AV desk at, at worship. And she is skilled at this because she is a public school teacher and has had students in the classroom and students online. And she's had to teach both. So she has the technical skills and the personal skills to do that. But what she is finding is worship's a bit different. You're not just trying to push information out. You are trying to craft a, a, an experience. An experience. And, yep. and it's if you don't frame the camera right or if you shake it or if you're late on the mute or the volumes, if the worship music sounds one way in the house but another way online, it, it can really affect people's ability to fully engage the worship experience. And of course, the, the irony is that the better you are at the technical side, the easier it looks. <laughs> right. Right. So no one, I mean, people have no, and, and I don't mean this as, as, a, as a derogatory statement, but people have no idea the things we're doing when it works because it, it just works. It's just completely fluid. Yes. Whereas, you know, I, I, I'm to the point now where I have to have three devices in front of me. Um, for a Friday night service because uh, of all one remotely controls volume levels. I have the actual one focused on my face and then my iPad will have my sermon notes of people who are sick and, and those sorts of things. But hey, you're doing all that technical stuff yourself. I, I am. And but um, it has been it has not been decided. But I think uh, we have a reopening committee and they fully understand that for the high holidays, which are coming up in September, which are, of co course, the most, not only the most meaningful services of the year for many, I mean, some would argue that every Shabbat is more meaningful or as meaningful, um, but certainly the most complicated and demanding spiritually. And so we, we will hire help uh, if we decide to do a hybrid route, which it seems we will. 
Um, yeah. The other thing that that will be lessened is one of the things I've been doing with the hybrid services is kind of inviting the people at home to participate in some way, whether it's breakout rooms or here's 30 seconds to say hello to everyone. And during the high holidays, I I think it's just going to be the reality that if you're watching the service not from the sanctuary, that's what you'll be doing. You'll be watching. And it'll still be hopefully moving and engaging, but there's not going to be actual participation. It'll be you are watching it because it's just not feasible. Yeah, we only have two ways. Like There are occasions where I will speak directly to the cameras at the back and talk to those who are participating online today. And we include all the liturgy and everything on slides so that they have it in their hand. Um, in case they didn't get the email with a bulletin, they can still follow along. <laughs> it's but, like we're the, it's like we're at the same place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then we also invite them to chat in things, and we have a chat monitor there live in in worship, and they include those. They get those to the pulpit so that we, if somebody chatted in a prayer request, I needed somebody else to monitor the chat space and to say those prayer requests out loud into the space so that they are heard by all and recorded by all and remembered by all. And that's a job. Like, so we have a paid job to run the tech desk. We have a volunteer job to run sound, a volunteer job to run camera, and a volunteer job to monitor chat. And that's four new jobs that we did not have a year and a half ago. Or think that you'd have. Right, (laughs) right, right. Oh, yeah. I keep keep joking. I mean, it's not really a joke, but that, you know... Seminary didn't teach us about how to be religious leaders during a pandemic when we could not be in the same physical space as our parishioners. Yeah, and I mean it, it's it's a glib comment, but it that you know I, I one thing that is a joke is that I I told leaders in the congregation during the next pandemic we're going to do things so much better. <laughs> All right, we're headed into season two. How about that? And uh, Eric and I were wondering, how do we lay out before you all and before ourselves a topic that has some cohesion uh, across week to week uh, and aims us all towards one one overarching theme? So uh, I think, let me give this a shot, Eric, and then you fix it when I mess this up. Our overarching thought for this whole season two will be those key issues where the texts, the sacred texts of the Hebrew Bible or or the Christian New Testament, they have something to say, but we as religious faithful folks sometimes struggle with what the text says and what it means. So we are going to pick up as best we can 8, 10, 12 tough issues where texts do try to say something but people of faith struggle to hear what it says or to understand it well. And Eric and I are going to debate that issue by issue, week by week, and see what we can do to help each other uh, become uh, more educated with what the text says and doesn't say and help y'all have a sense of uh, what these ancient texts uh, are trying to say into our modern world. All right, clean that up, Eric. I think you I think you said that beautifully. And, um yeah, I think the idea is difficult texts. Is So, you know, the first thing that came to my mind when we started talking about this is God commanding 
Abraham to sacrifice his one son, the son that he loves, Isaac, which firstly is factually wrong because at the time that God commands Abraham to sacrifice his only son, he actually has two sons. Of course, the Torah or Judaism has something to say about that. I know that that's shocking. Um, but that's a difficult text. And anyone who is a parent or just, you know, anyone who thinks critically about the Bible and morality and obedience really has to struggle with this part of the Bible where God, quote unquote, tests Abraham. And so it's a difficult text in the sense of there's a tension between sometimes between the belief that God is good, God is perfect, God uh, wants the best for us, and what God demands of us or what we demand of ourselves. Um, and that's just one example. Um, you know, I, I have our uh, lovely Google Doc in, in front of us. Um, you know, free will is an, is another example. I think that's what we're going to be talking about next week. And, um, a little bit of a, a spoiler alert is, uh, in Exodus, when the Israelites are slaves in Egypt, there are a few times, um, when Moses and his brother Aaron go to Pharaoh. And of course they say the famous, let my people go. Um, by the way, Louis Armstrong's version of that, amazing. Is the we best. played it at yes. Passover a few months ago. Oh my gosh. So good. Yes. Um, and the, the Torah tells us that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, which implies that Pharaoh might have said, okay, you can go. I, I don't want to be at war. I'm afraid of what your God might do. You can go. But by God hardening Pharaoh's heart, that limits Pharaoh's free will, perhaps. So again, difficult text. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give one or two examples from your tradition, Joel? You bet. Those two are, are, are in the ballpark. And that's just two of our episodes that are out before us. One that the first one that hit me was just because I read it recently was Jesus's command to love your enemy. And like, wow. Uh, you know, it's right in there with love your neighbor. And we're like, okay, well, who's my neighbor? And he tells a parable about that. But he has this other command to, you know, it says, you know, you can hate your enemy. No, I say to you, love your enemy and turn the other cheek when they strike you. Like, imagine what does it look like in our modern world to truly forgive those who have been our enemy? And, and a toughie that seems to be very real and very present and has been lingering in our culture for some times are sexuality and gender issues. The texts, both the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament, are used a lot of time to defend certain definitions of sexuality, uh, sexual practices, or, or gender identities. And what does the text really say? When did it say that? What does that even mean then? And what does it mean now? Uh, and so there's so much in those spaces where people have used or misused text, maybe, and we want to try to see where we go with you if those are issues that uh, rattle you in your daily life or that you've heard uh, religious people um, talk about. Yeah, so I, I'll, uh, if it's okay with you, Joel, I'll, I'll very quickly just kind of read read these. So oh. uh, it, not in terms of the texts, but the the bit, the concepts. Oh, sure. Uh, and, so our and so for the, for our listeners, what we, what we have is we have these concepts, and then we have at least one text from each of our tradi tradition that talks about that concept, again, in a difficult way. That was, that was one of the guidelines by which we measured. If, if it's an easy text to interpret uh, and live by, then we, it's basically discarded. So, uh, 
And sometimes we thought of the text first and the theme after, and sometimes we knew we wanted to talk about a particular theme, and then we found text based on that. So anyway, a free will, forgiveness, loyalty, gender inequality, um, things that are practically problematic and or naive, like, um, for example, uh, be still. There's, there's lots of things in the Torah and, and the Christian uh, New Testament about uh, being still and Shabbat on a practical level in the 21st century. How do we do those, um, quote unquote, correctly? Of course, whatever correctly means. Uh, ec the equity or fairness of God, obedience, sexuality, uh, which is partially tied to gender equality, but inequality, but certainly not one in the same. Um, the concept of holy war and violence, revenge, uh, theodicy, which is the fancy word of the uh, source of evil in the world, the theological source of evil, faith generally, uh, racism and subjugation are as one, zealotry and chosenness. And then uh, hopefully we'll tie it together uh, in an episode to end it all after we, after hopefully we've not only shared some insights, but learned some insights from one another and in our own research. And y'all as listeners may find that you have some really tough issues or texts that you've heard confusing things or conflicting things. If so, hey, send those to us um, by email at religionpodcast at gmail.com or on one of our social media uh, sites. And we'll see where they fit and see if your question drops right into one of these or if we need to have a new episode to accommodate a great topic that you recommend to us. I'm scared to death. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, all of these are crushers. Like, and to go That's on true. the We're... record with any We're... single one of these is really walking yourself out on the plank, you know? I don't know. We've tackled some pretty serious stuff <laughs> given, the, given the world uh, and it, it, its state of affairs in the last year. I just don't want to, like, give people uh, the saw and then walk out on the plank and hear the <laughs> behind me. Right. Well, to me, what one thing I, I think, and we'll probably give caveats like this at various episodes, is we're not giving answers to these problematic things. I mean, God forbid, we're giving an answer, not the answer or a perspective. And so it, it's not about this is what Judaism says about, I'm just going to pick one here, you know, free will. But here are some different points of view on it from a generalized Jewish perspective with some specificity with regard to the text. And that's, I, I think that's why we wanted it in text is because that's very grounding and we can point to, okay, Exodus chapter 12, verse three says this, you know, other people can look that up, interpret it for themselves, but, but it grounds us in something and that people have been struggling with for at least in terms of the Torah for more than 3000 years. Hey, this may be something that happens in the, and uh, Judaism, I know in Christianity for, gosh, a millennia or more, the people really had no responsibility or access to interpret the scriptures themselves. They were told what the scriptures said and meant by the prose. And, and then somewhere around the Reformation, things changed for some in that faith. 
some continue to not read the read the scriptures themselves and to just trust what the prose said it said and said it it meant. Others started reading it themselves and disagreeing and debating about not just what it said, because that's a translation in and of itself, but also what that translation might mean. And that big debate was new for the Christian world. We've only been doing it 500, 600 years. I think Judaism's been doing it for thousands. And people have heard what the texts say and have heard what it meant, but then they've watched the live debate and it's it's like built into the religion to it, that's very well said it's exactly right it's a it's a feature not a bug right that it it's inherent to the process of Judaism and not separate from it it's so it's it's not despite these things we do that it's exactly because of these things and um and that's one of the things frankly that i love most about Judaism is that it's it's kind of this ongoing 3,000-year conversation where we're not, I wouldn't say we're in search of an answer, but we're in search, I'm going to use a term that I got from, well, it's a, it's an old term, it's called chiddish, which in Hebrew means kind of a new insight. Um, but I was, I've been recently uh, going through notes that I've taken of books that I've read years ago, and um, Jews and Words by uh, Amos Oz and his daughter, whose name I'm forgetting. It's one of the best books I've read in years. It's unbelievable. And one of the um, things that that he talks about is that despite having 3,000 years of sages and wisdom and incredible narrative, it is still incumbent upon each bar and bat mitzvah you know, which is at age 13, right? So think about yourself at age 13. It's still incumbent upon you to give a chiddish at your bar mitzvah. So this, even though there's all, there's an immense, I mean, an immense doesn't even do it justice. There's an unfathomable depth and breadth to Jewish knowledge and, and textual discourse. It's still incumbent to come up with something new. And that to me is, I mean, that's just so engaging to me. I think a lot of Christians would struggle with with that as a core concept of faith. Uh, I I feel like Christianity has done something to faith that forget Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, loved to do in that and brought new things into old understandings all the time. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who got very mad at him for that. And they didn't like that he was bringing the new in. Um, so, you know, if, if you're on the Christian side of faith, you follow a teacher who loved to show the new thing. But you remember that those who resist that were the ones who tried to kill him. And what does it mean to be on the side of faith that are excited by the new, that look for it, that expect it and, and want God to be fulfilling the promise of here I am about to do a new thing. Don't you perceive it? As opposed to the kind of faithful person who just wants to find the old right answer that used to work and should always work and never change. That That isn't the path of faith. Um, but some people perceive it when they defend the old truth. They perceive that as the most faithful path. When I kind of look at that as being the least 
fateful path now. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's that tension is where faith and religion become alive for me. It's exactly in that tension. Uh, partially having to do with, and we talked about this when we talked about the Supreme Court, right? Like what did the, what did the authors mean when they wrote these things? But then on the other hand, does it matter what the authors meant? Because the truth is, it, going back to the Constitution, we have that as law now. And so is it up to what they meant or is it up to what we think they meant or what we wanted them to mean? And I think uh, in theology, we do this all of the time uh, where we interpret something that God says, demands, commands into something that we want God to think or command. Um, because it, it, what is that? Uh, oh, there's a quote. It's like if, if it's like if all men were triangles, do you know what I'm it, it's it, Nope, don't know that one. I know what I was going to say. That we actually create God in our image just as much as we are created in God's image. Hmm. And and so though these conversations are crucial. That is the grand debate. Like, okay, God created us in God's image. Yahoo, right? And as long as we find ourselves uh, submitting to that image of the Godhead that is in each and all of us and uh, becoming the great community that God created us to be, uh, just like God is somehow in God's own self communal, uh, it, which is one of the reasons I've always loved Elohim. As one of mm. the, the scriptures of God, you know, this sure. this God council, this pluralness of the, the one God, uh, we're, we're doing good. But we what we see is how we get off base when we interpret scripture or treat one another as, uh, as if God is now in our image. Uh, we bend it the, the wrong direction and we start putting God's uh, preferences or subserviences under us. Uh, so I'm the script, every single one of these scriptures, these tough scriptures is going to challenge us to see if we are really willing to go under and behind God, or if we are going to force God to go along with us. And since you brought up, well, I brought it up at first, but then you reminded me of it, the, uh, of God commanding Abraham to sacrifice his son. Uh, the philosopher Kierkegaard talks about that story as kind of the, the locus classicus of that, the, the prime example of what you just said. I mean, he doesn't use those words, of course, but that what makes the sacrifice of Isaac powerful is exactly that it's immoral. And it's not what Abraham wants to do. As a matter of fact, it's the antithesis of what Abraham wants to do, but following God's commandment is the higher priority. Um, and of course, we'll, we'll get deeper into that with that specific example. <laughs> yes, but, we will. <laughs> but in terms of putting God above, um, it really is only meaningful if it's not what we would have chosen in our own proclivities or choices. There may be something in this, and we'll see if it becomes a theme, but I, I can no longer separate God's will 
what God really wants, from God's word that describes what God wants, from God's actions in the world. And I find that the God that I want to worship <laughs> is consistent across God's will, God's mm. word, and God's actions. So when I find in scripture a word that is attributed to God, but that doesn't look and sound like what I've seen God do or what I believe God really wants, I tend to question that word um, more than I question the actions of God that I truly believe are God's or the will of God that I really believe is, is God's want and desire for all creation. My first weak point in the process is probably the word or the text. And, and I don't know if that's fair. Other people don't do it that way. They say the text right. is right and that defines God's will. And we clarify which actions in this world are God's by whether or not it matches the word. Other people put the word the highest. I tend to let the word be behind God's will and actions, but that's, that's me. Well, and to a certain degree, that's mirrored, I think, in human relationships. Like when we when we tell people, and th this is completely uh, a thought experiment. I've never heard anyone ever tell this to me, especially my wife, that, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do or your feelings. You know, you're, you're OK, great. You have your feelings. But it, but unless you act on them uh, in a productive manner, it, it doesn't matter. And going back to um, being creating God's image. I, that's why I listed that as a problematic text because it's one of those things that sounds beautiful. It sounds great. Okay, we're all creating God's image. All men, all human beings are created equal. Great. But living by that, like actually living by that as in the same manner of turn the other cheek and love your enemy, completely different. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, Joel. Yeah. Yeah, and now I'm daunted. I'm daunted, but excited. It's good. <laughs> it is too big. That, it is heavy. What are we doing? Oh, no. Speaking of exciting and not as heavy as it could have been because you ordered the wrong thing, tell us about your Xbox. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, semiconductors are still made in China only. And are super rare. So the uh, the five hundred dollar Xbox Series X is sold out everywhere. And whenever they go up, the grabbers and snipers snag up all the inventory and resell them on eBay for four times the value. So it's ridiculous. I and I surrendered. The main difference in that the Xbox X anyway is some some video output range and discs. I I'm not going to need any of that. I, yeah, I'm good. My video output is high enough and I don't have any discs anymore. I'm all virtual. No, so. but it does It does have another 500 gigabytes of memory. Yeah, I can just plug in one of, of the external. But, you know, I just plug in an external drive and I'm fine. Uh, welcome back to season two, everyone. We're glad you're still with us and we're looking forward to uh, sharing some great conversations. We hope it points you uh, down your journey of faith towards something that looks more and more like God's will and word and actions with each and every episode. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast 
and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.